the HD Movie Podcast may contain mature content, strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to episode 105 of the HD Movie Podcast. I'm Darren Gaskell. And I'm Hayley Alice-Roberts. And today we're continuing with our Summer of Sharks season of movies and we're featuring a movie neither of us have seen before and we're also going to be discussing it with a guest. So the film is 2003's Red Water and the guest is Vinegar Syndrome's Ewan Kant. Yes, it's the latest of our Summer of Sharks episode. And this time we're venturing into cable TV for 2003's Red Water, directed by Charles Robert Carner. So this movie originally premiered on a TBS Superstation in August 2003, and it became one of the highest rated movies to air in the station's history. It was released on DVD in the UK in February 2004. So, what is Red Water about? Well, there's only one man who can tell us, and that man is Nick Reganis, who has written, again, a stellar synopsis on IMDb. Having missed yet another loan payment, the down-on-his-luck fishing boat owner and former oil rig worker John Sanders accepts his ex-wife, Dr. Kelly Raymond's offer to take her to a small oil rig on the wide Atchafalaya River, Louisiana. Meanwhile, a pair of ruthless gangsters comb the area to unearth a cache of abandoned loot Unknown to them that a rogue freshwater bull shark is patrolling the bottom of the river scavenging for food. Before long, a massacre begins as the silent underwater predator tastes the succulent human flesh for the first time. Who can kill the monster that stains the waters red? Another fabulous synopsis from Nick. A movie as big as this? Coolio, Lou Diamond Phillips? It can't just take two of us to describe this movie. We must have a guest. Okay, so we are going over to Yuan Kant, who you may know from both Arrow Video and Vinegar Syndrome. So, Yuan, tell us why you chose this film for the podcast and how you were introduced to it. Oh, hi, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really happy to be talking about this movie. I'm a little bit devastated because you've already used up all the trivia I have on this film in your opening little speech there. So I'm not going to have much more to add trivia-wise, but hopefully I can make up for that with enthusiasm. So, yeah, I guess how I ended up picking this, I think we were maybe talking about your Summer of the Sharks series at Abattoir Festival, I guess, last November. And I think probably one of the first or second things that came out of my mouth was, have you seen Red Water? <laughs> I'm an unabashed exploitation fan. And Deep Blue Sea is kind of notoriously one of my favourite movies of all time. I had kind of a couple of renaissances in my kind of horror watching career. One of them was finding all the slasher movies that I had to watch and uncover. The second one was watching all the shark movies that I could possibly watch. And that happened maybe 10, 15 years ago. And so I just spent when I was supposed to be working in a day job, just just be clear, this was prior to Arrow Video, another day job. I spent most of my time just Googling shark movie lists and just looking up trailers etc and happened across red water i think i'd probably been aware of it in like the video store at some point when it came out but i think by that point i'd already kind of been spooked by the number of kind of cgi crap fest shark movies that came out this is kind of an interesting period this is kind of like one of the first movies to follow really in the wake of deep blue sea so it was really before that tidal wave of your Sharknadoes to mix up the um, metaphors there and your swamp sharks and sand sharks. This was kind of 
one of the first to kind of come out the gate in the wake of Deep Blue Sea. But I'd been spooked by the number of very, and you might disagree here, but very trashy shark movies. <laughs> and I don't, I don't really class this as one of them. But I've been spooked by a lot of the kind of CGI heavy shark movies, which for me is just a real turn off. And there is CGI in here, but as what we come on to, there's a lot of great shark puppet action as well. Yeah, so I sort of steered clear of this one for many years. And then I guess to my great shame, it was probably only a couple of years ago in the midst of COVID when I realized that finally was the time to dip my toes into red water. And I just had a really good time with it. I watched it again last night. This was my second time watching it. I did spend the first half kind of being like, have I made a terrible mistake in uh, pitching this one to you guys? But for me, it really kind of like the, the shark action really ramps up and comes into its own in the kind of the final act. And that just really sells it for me. And then I came away thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with my life choices again. That's how I came to it. And I'm, I'm really curious to hear what you guys um, think about it. Well, it's got some cred in the cast. I mean, Lou Diamond Phillips is always going to lift something. And you've got Christy Swanson, original Buffy. The weird thing at the start for me was, I was thinking, where's this going? Because it's in three different places. So you've got the oil rig, mm -hmm. and then you've got the gangsters. And yeah, then, the so you've in got, the Virgin Islands in the Gangs yeah, of Paradise. Yeah, and then you've got Christy Swanson and her boss. It does coalesce eventually, but it kind of starts off like, well, you know, where is this actually going? What it does have in the first three minutes is a world-beating scream of shark from the girl who is in the lake mm -hmm. the, when it's attacking people. But I think it, it kind of landed pretty much how it did with you, especially with the final act. I spent the first hour of this movie thinking, like, does it want to be one thing? Does it want to be another? Because there's, there's gangster action. It almost kind of threatens to turn into a bit diehardish on the oil rig at one point because you think, is Lou Diamond Phillips going to get the vest on and start kicking ass? He doesn't. And then in the last 20 minutes, you get some actual proper shark action. And, as yeah. you say, it's not... Well, it's not totally CGI. And I like the fact that you do actually get to see, because in a lot of shark movies you get a glimpse of it and it's gone. But you yeah, actually yeah. get people fighting the shark in this movie at the end. Yeah, which Decent, is to its credit. <laughs> yeah, and there's decently long sequences where the shark's actually on screen. And it doesn't look all that bad, actually, considering it's a cable TV movie. And I'm assume, assuming that the budget isn't massive for this movie. Mm. But the shark looks all right in this. Yeah, I think, it, I think it's totally to its credit that they go do go down that road of... It's so the film kind of treads that kind of line that Deep Blue Sea does, where it has some very shonky CGI. Like I, I will still lament the bits. I call them the kind of uh, kind of computer game cutscenes that they have in Deep Blue Sea. Whenever someone gets attacked, we get this. We're forced to get this shot of the CGI sharks. I've not seen it in a while. I'm probably going to go and watch it after this. After talking about sharks all night, we get these cutscenes where the sharks are like really unnecessary, like ripping apart the body in really bad CGI. But then we get the amazing animatronic shark head that you get in the, the opening of the film and elsewhere. And I think this film kind of treads a similar line. Yeah, there's some pretty shonky CGI. It never gets that bad, I don't think. But what really sells it is the rubber shark action. And I will take any kind of rubber shark like over CGI any day of the week. I know having listened to your episodes on Jules 3D and Last Shark... You guys maybe feel slightly differently sometimes, but even if it's, you know, just like in the last shark, just like a rubber shark's head just being poked out of the water, like I will take that any day over some really chunky CGI. For me, it's just like so much more visceral and immediate. And I think this film has enough of that stuff to sell it. So what I liked about it is that they use the bull shark because that shark is considered dangerous and has aggressive tendencies, which I think is good because half the time, in shark movies, they basically have to subvert the reality of the sharks in terms of... So basically, sharks don't typically attack humans, and I think with this, it's more realistic in that sense. I thought this film was pretty cheesy, definitely early 2000s cheese. The beginning was pretty chaotic. It was jumping from one thing to the next, 
And the bit that made me laugh was we've obviously got this grandpa with his grandson in the boat fishing. Yeah. And you see them and then you don't see them for a while. And then I started watching the movie before Darren. So I say to him, like, just remember the, the grandpa and the grandson, because it's like all this stuff seems to have happened. And then we go back to them and then we get their attack. And it's like, is that supposed to be the same day? Didn't know if it was yeah. sure what it was doing, <laughs> but it was quite funny. And I know what you mean. I think watching that back last night, I was a bit kind of confused about that and what was happening and why we needed to be in the US Virgin Islands. And then, then we we're back there. And definitely like, and I'm sure probably when I first saw it, you know, that we've already alluded to that first kind of shark attack in the river with the two girls. You definitely see that and think we might be in trouble here. In fact, I was trying to find the trailer the other night and it came up with that scene. And I was like, that can't be the same film that I've been hyping up, can it? For me, it's all about the shark action. Like, I, I'm not really, like, invested. You know, there are some stakes involved, and I kind of I quite like the kind of powder keg situation we have of, like, the gangsters and the oil drillers coming together, and this that kind of creates some good, fairly believable reasons for more people to end up in the water, which in a shark movie can only be a good thing, right? Absolutely, yeah. And I do like the fact that Lou Diamond Phillips... Whenever you think he's going to be a hero and he's going to wipe everybody out, he's rubbish as a hero. He gets yeah. stabbed, he gets punched, but that's believable because he's a guy that just works on oil rigs, so he's not going to be John McClane. And that's kind of refreshing because every time he tries to rescue somebody, it invariably goes wrong. So that's yeah, that's the sort of tack that the movie's taking. And that's quite fun, actually, because you think that oh, this time, surely he's going to make a decent fist of it. No, he doesn't. He generally gets stabbed or punched or bitten or tied up. And this happens throughout the movie. Yeah, he, he has a good moment, I think, in the final act where he, he literally gets the drop on one of the bad guys and then it just gets completely taken out. It's kind of almost like, why did they even bother with that? We didn't really need that, but I appreciated it. But in his defence... He does take getting his leg ripped off kind of in his stride. He's kind of like, it, you almost like, did that just happen? Because he's like, he's still like jumping around and, and doing all this after that happened. So that's to his credit, I think. Yeah, so I think the acting in it is very ropey. There's not anything Oscar worthy <laughs> you know, in this. But I think that does add a bit to the B-movie charm. That I don't know if that's what they were going for, if they were trying to make it serious, but that's how it came across. I found the business talk in it quite plodding. It was plodding and slowing the plot down a lot. I just mm. didn't really care for it. We find in a lot of Hallmark movies as well, we get this exposition business talk in there. And yeah, I don't really care for it. They could have just wrapped that up a little bit quicker than needed to. Some of the costumes in this, very vibrant costumes in this, specifically the gangsters. I mean, that red water suit. And then, of course, Coolio. I mean, you know, he's got all the colours. I guess he's just playing himself in this. Yeah, it's just a bit of stunt casting, I guess, isn't it? Mm. I mean, the cynic in me says it's, you know, kind of an attempt to follow in the wake of Deep Blue Sea of casting a rap star in a role, and they kind of felt like they needed to do that. I mean, I guess that was kind of happening quite a bit with turn of the century, late 90s, early noughties horror movies. That was kind of the thing, right, to have like a, a rap star or a singer you know, like Kelly, was it Kelly Rowland? I think is in Jason versus Freddy. If I got that wrong, no, no she she's, is, she's, she's okay. in that. Yeah. And you get uh, you get LL Cool J in Deep Blue Sea as well. Yeah, well, he has with, a rap song. He does have a rap song at the end of Deep great. Blue Sea. Yeah, but oh, my where, head is my head is like a shark's fin. Yes, which I only discovered recently. I'm like, I more than anyone probably love a tie-in music video, and for some reason, I only discovered the LA Cool J Deep Blue Sea music video quite recently, like within the last few months. And it's not in HD on YouTube and somebody needs to bloody go and rectify that ASAP. But from recollection, because I held out after I saw that, when I was watching Red Water last night, when I was getting to the end, I was like, is there is there like a tie-in Coolio song? I don't think there is, which no. is a missed, missed opportunity. Yeah, it's very me. odd music at the end, wasn't it? It's something instrumental. Oh, it's kind yeah. of that sort of Cajun kind of it vibe. Is. Right. I quite like the, uh, the, the Cajun song in the middle. It's, uh, it's in French. And that kind of sets up the vibe of the middle of the movie. 
it might yeah. not match the rest of the movie, but the sort of detour into the bayou I thought was quite entertaining. It might not fit with this movie. It's some from somewhere yeah. else. But I did like the song in the middle. But you're right, there's a missed opportunity not having a Coolio number at the end. That, and... that would that would elevate this movie from a recommend to Stone Cold Classic <laughs> in my eyes. That would... <laughs> Just broke into song in in the middle of the film. I think that would have just taken yeah. left field a bit, livened it up as well. I do agree with that. It is stunt casting, and it's good to have him there because when I saw the cast, I thought, "Oh, Coolio's in this, great!" But then they <laughs> give him almost nothing to do apart from wave a gun around and have the odd one liner. But again, yeah. it's a bit of a waste opportunity with Coolio because if he was in the front of the screen, I'd be going, "Right, we need to get Coolio to do more stuff in this movie." I mean, LL Cool J ends up kind of being the de facto hero of Deep Blue Sea because you're kind of on his side and he's being put through all this stuff throughout the movie. You really do gel with LL Cool J's character in Deep Blue Sea. And now I know Coolio is a villain in this, but even Mm. so, you could have made him a more charismatic villain. It seems that he's, he's got more to offer in this than he does actually. Yeah, no, I didn't really think about that at the time because I was just, you know, absorbing it. But, yeah, I think you're right. They definitely don't give him enough to do. I don't know if that's... No, I don't just don't think the characters has developed enough. Mm. And, as you say, in DBC, LL Cool J is re- a really, like, focal part of it. You know, he gets some great one-liners, something about not being cooked in his own oven and and that kind of stuff. I think the best thing that Coolio gets in Red Water is something like, take that, fool, as he <laughs> shoots the shark, which is good, but yeah. it's not... It's not amazingly quotable. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's all right. I mean, he gets some stuff to do towards the end, but it does seem like the movie is trying to find him something to do all the way through. And it's like, right, we've cast Coolio. Now what do we do with him? Oh, actually, the character's not that great. But, you know, we've still got Coolio. It's still there. You can look at him. Yeah, I think he's very much a side character as well. He doesn't get a chance to really shine in this. And for mm. me, I couldn't really gel with any of the characters. So I think when that happens to me with a movie i can't really get on board with it getting too invested but as we discussed like some of the shark actions great i do well this is gonna be a spoiler of it now i do love the demise of the shark i thought that was very inventive talk about ending on a high like that's just very very well done you know it's kind of kind of gratuitous in the sense that like i think lou diamond phillips is kind of like hanging he's like on the ladder at the end with his legs still in the water yeah. and <laughs> you're just thinking like you would just like get your feet the hell out of that but he's just kind of there hanging on the ladder and he's got enough time and presence of mind to like call to his mate up above and be like you know let's get the drill bit whatever that that takes the shark out in the end contrived i guess is the word i'm going for but it it works so well and it is a, a kind of a fitting demise for the shark Especially when we've had some pretty shonky explosions, like earlier on, there's a couple of explosions that are a bit like, kind of bring to mind some of the the worst effects of Jaws 3. <laughs> so they could have definitely been in danger of going down that road and having some like dynamite forced into the shark's mouth and having a pretty shonky explosion. So to go for something way more visceral and kind of horror is a really strong note to go out on. Yeah, so many sharks get blown up at the end of movies. It's probably the number one way of taking out a shark in a movie is to blow it up. And I was thinking as well, I was thinking, well, there's a lot of dynamite there. They're not going to blow it up, are they? Yeah. But I was delighted to see that they've got a bloody massive drill to drop on the shark <laughs> at the end. And it really does take it out. When I saw it, it's like, well, that's not coming back. There was that kind of thing. It's like, oh, are they going to think they've killed it? And then it comes back. But as soon as they dropped the drill, it was like, nah, that's dead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was I was kind of hoping, don't we get, at the end, we get sort of a lingering shot underwater. I was kind of hoping yes. for an even bigger bull shark to swim past and bump the camera, and we didn't get a, a red water too. More's the pity. But yeah, just a, you know, a really inventive way to, to finish it off. And, you know, I think the film definitely tries to do a few different things with the genre. I mean, kind of going... As far as I know, it's one of the only shark film to feature the bull shark and kind of go with that route. Bull sharks being a species that are able to adapt and survive in freshwater. So that's kind of like a fun angle to go with. 
just trying something a bit different with that and kind of a bit of the the kind of Cajun folklore. It's a little bit kind of stagey when we have that scene, you know, I guess it's maybe halfway through when they stop off in the village and then the next day they're setting off and all the villagers are like stood, you know, in a somber way on the pier and by the river watching them go off. It's kind of, that's a little bit, bit a bit, little bit OTT perhaps, but. Yeah, for me, I mean, when they were watching them sail away, it was almost like the, the tone of the movie had changed very, very briefly. And it was almost like these people are going to die. And it may be that yeah. they were watching them going out thinking these people are going to die. But it's full of moments that kind of on one level, you may not go with them. But I do agree it is trying to do something slightly different with the shark movie because there's a very specific template for shark movies. And this edges away from the template quite a bit. And J.D. Fagelson's script isn't that bad, really. Considering it's a shark movie, it could have gone for the more trashy stuff. Yeah, it gets bogged down in the minutiae of oil drilling and sort of how profitable it can be. And we could have probably got away with that for like a couple of minutes and say, right, let's get that out of the way. The oil drilling stuff, we know that they're going to make a lot of money if it's successful. We can just get that out of the way. But equally, it kind of sets up the Christy Swanson character and her boss. So it does make a little bit of a play so the boss is kind of obsessed with the money at the start but then when he gets injured it gives you a little bit more sympathy for him because his sympathetic side comes out a bit more spoiler alert as well gonna have to say it the boss bleeds to death after a gunshot wound over quite a long period of time which again Uh. it's reasonably realistic and it's not gratuitously done but the guy's hanging around for quite a bit with this gunshot Uh. wound and ends up expiring, is the other side of the Lou Diamond Phillips character, because Lou Diamond Phillips has had his foot bitten by the shark, and Lou Diamond Phillips just pulls the tooth out and thinks, right, get rid of that. Whereas this guy yes. has this long, lingering, bleeding to death over about half an hour of the movie. I guess they maybe missed a bit of a trick there, not having the boss use the shark chum. I mean, they managed to find a way to have one of the, the bad guys, they managed to contrive a way to have him, he just kind of after he's, you know, the other guys have turned on him and, you know, stabbed him, he decides to, I I don't know why, really, there's no real explanation, but he decides to sort of wander off and fall off the boat. I don't know whether he just decided he wanted a reckoning with the shark, but I thought that was kind of quite nice and contrived way to have an extra shark chomping scene. Yeah, and for a 12 certificate movie, which is what it was when I rented it, it's fairly gruesome. I mean, it's all brief, but it's quite bloody for a 12-certificate movie. Yeah, now you've said that. Like, I, I have noted that it was rated 12 here in the UK, but one watching it, like, that just went out the window for me. I'd forgotten. And actually, when come to think of it, it is pushing the boundaries for that certificate. Obviously, it's not a 12A, so parents can't take their children to the cinema to watch it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, well, I, we, we skipped over this, but I mean, I think, Haley, I know that you just saw it last night for the first time. Yes. Were you aware of it before? I mean, obviously, doing, you know, numerous shark podcasts, was it on your proverbial radar? Not at all. No, I'd never heard of it until you mentioned it. But then that was good because we were on the hunt for more shark movies. So it's good for us to find something that we haven't seen before. And that's a bit more obscure, lesser known. So we do appreciate the recommendation. As I say, I wasn't totally enamoured with it, but going into the discussion now, they, you know, there are some decent points about it. And I say the choice of the bull shark was a really strong point for me because, as I said, it made it that more threatening. Mm. And I did love the gore in it. I thought that was great. It was just the kind of chaoticness of the beginning. It was just jumping from one thing to the next. The acting was very shoddy in places, but... As I say, I think it was trying to evoke that B-movie charm. I'm not mm. sure if that's what they were going with, as I said earlier, but that's how it does come across. It doesn't come across as taking itself too seriously. No, I mean, I think the great thing about it, and I'm just looking at the the kind of a big IMDb list of shark movies just to remind me of the chronology of the shark film, and the great thing is it is, as I said, it's one of those first ones to come out the gate after Deep Blue Sea, which... You know, in a similar way to Deep Blue Sea, it's pretty self-consciously a B-movie, but it doesn't kind of flaunt that in the way that the deluge of CGI shark movies that came out, you know, I guess, post-Sharknado 
are where it's that very self-conscious we're making a B movie. I'm a huge shark exploitation fan. I haven't watched one of those films because it just doesn't appeal to me at all. Like I don't want to have the kind of B moviness shoved in my face. I want it to have those elements, but still take it with a modicum of seriousness. I don't know how you guys, because I haven't had a chance to listen to your episodes about, I, I presume you've covered some of the Sharknadoes and stuff, like how you guys feel about those. We've covered We've got one we've, left. We've covered we are five. Nearly, we're nearly yeah. complete on the franchise. I really uh, enjoy the Sharknado films. They, they know what they're doing, and mm-hmm. there's always just something ridiculous and fun, and I think with Sharknado, you just have to go with it. Some people are not going to enjoy it, and I understand that. But for me, like I just, I think it's feel good shark movie, and I can just put it on and just mm. enjoy it. That's got to be a that's, that's what good. I like about it. That's that's a nice oxymoron, a feel good shark movie. I guess <laughs> the only other example would be Shark's Tale, maybe. Oh um, well, we're not allowed to do that movie. Darren has a strict rule. I wanted to do it because I thought it would be something <laughs> different. Like we haven't done an animated film. Uh-huh. Uh, however, Darren has serious issues with this film, so he's like, we are not doing it. I think to quote him, we are not fucking doing it. <laughs> I'm not fucking doing <laughs> Yeah. The Yeah, the weird thing about the Sharknado series is the least convincing thing about it is the shark action, and we're not yeah. really watching it for the shark action. Basically, the Sharknado movies, as you go further along, it's where are they going to take the plot? What are the characters going to do? And the shark mm. action almost takes a back seat which mm. is a weird thing to have in a shark movie. And it is feel mm. good. Celebrity cameos yeah. as well, isn't it? And like, it, it? Like, who's going to be in this one? Yeah. It's I, a different shark movie experience. And I think you're right. If you're into hardcore shark movies, you're probably going to watch 10 minutes of Sharknado and go, don't feel this. I'm switching this off. And I can completely understand why people would do that. Yeah. To be fair, I haven't really given them a go. And maybe it sounds like I'm missing the, the point of them. But instinctually, this is way more my yeah yeah this this feels my... this feels much more like a, a well I mean, yeah i'll use the word classic it's a classic shark movie with a few wrinkles in it it's kind of it's taking yeah. that all the stuff that you know and love about classic shark movies and just giving them a little bit of a spin whereas shark nerd yeah. is right we can take the shark movie template and we're going to use like about 10 percent of it maybe even less and then the rest of it is just going to be completely bonkers and yeah. They'd ploughed their own furrow with the Sharknado movies, but they're very, very distant cousins to things like Jaws and Deep Blue Sea and this. Mm-hmm. Mm. And and the CGI, it's partly meant to be terrible, but also mm. for, pe- for people who, who like puppets... That's a and, nice get-out. <laughs> yeah, but but it's jarring as well. They know that oh. it's meant to be... But, but yeah, if you do like puppets, it's, jar- it's jarring. Yeah, I mean, I really... I do lament, you know, the, the demise of puppets in these films i mean i revisited shark knight aka shark knight 3d recently yeah because i had seen it many years ago watched it on a 3d tv had a fairly lukewarm response to it but then somebody mentioned it on a podcast recently and i was like oh, i should check that out again and again like it's it's enjoyable enough but it's just not nearly i think there's a bit of shark kind of puppet stuff towards the end maybe but there's just also some, also some really bad sharks leaping out of the water in CGI that's supposed to be like a shock moment. And it just makes me go, ugh. Yeah. And that's why, for me, Red Water was such a nice surprise, was because I was expecting more of that and, like, bait 3D, which I kind of enjoyed. I think that's got some some good, like, shark puppet stuff, but it's all animatronics, whatever you want to call it. But it's also got some really sketchy moments. Like I think the opening of Break 3D, there's like a shark attack where you're just like, ugh, that's really bad. It's got some good bits in it. Coming to like Red Water, I was like totally expecting more of that kind of stuff. And so I was just like, I'm, I'm never happier than when I'm watching an underwater shot of a full-size animatronic shark. That's my kryptonite. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it gives you plenty of that in the final act. So that just leaves me very happy. It does. The final, well, think... the final twenty minutes is berserk. It's kind of it's got shootouts, it's got explosions, yeah. it's got shark attacks. I, yeah, and I do agree. Like, I again watching it as I said last night, the first half I was a bit like, oh, we're we in sort of a bit in trouble here. We veer a bit too much into like TV thriller, and it probably, yeah, arguably kind of loses its way there. But I just feel like it just more than makes up for that in the last twenty or so minutes, and you know, ends strong. 
yeah definitely i think the ending did make up for the lackluster opening and middling part of it for me <laughs> it wasn't holding my attention as much as i'd hoped it would but i think yeah. again what you're saying it's kind of that in between isn't it between jaws and sharknado it's not as serious as jaws but it still has fun like say a sharknado film had but without being too extreme so it's definitely that middle ground as you say it coming out after deep blue sea that was obviously the vibe for shark movies in the uh, late 90s early 2000s yeah and i got yeah. a, i got a nostalgic charge from the breaks for the ads as well yeah, there's, oh, yeah, yeah. there's clearly there's clearly fade outs for to put ads in there and it did take me back to kind of those murder mm. mystery suspense movies that they used to put on but like every tuesday or thursday night when i was very young on itv yeah. and it would it would get to a point where something really bad was about to happen and then they faded out and then there'd be ads and that made me nostalgic for that and and i mean it doesn't it doesn't break the movie up any but it's nice to have that kind of tv movie it's, vibe as well it's a nice it's a nice prompt for a tea break you know like is, I, yeah. i've i forgot about it being a tv movie when i got back into it yesterday and then it happened the first couple of times i was like hang on but i started to kind of appreciate that and like you say yeah it's like a, a real nostalgic kind of thing yeah because you won't get that you don't anymore. get the ads though that's the only thing yeah you don't <laughs> but you don't get that <laughs> exactly you're not going to get that these days as well so it's kind of I'm not going to say it's going back to a simpler time, but there was something there was something that gave me a buzz about the fact that, I, in fact, I was waiting for it by the end. I was thinking, oh, when's it going to fade for the next bit? <laughs> mm. There's quite a lot of them as well, yeah. but obviously in America, you get way more ad breaks mm. than you do over here, so that makes sense with that. But it was mm. a simpler time. The early 2000s were a simpler time. We didn't have all this social media. We didn't have Zoom. We wouldn't be able to do this. We probably yeah. would have, but, but in a different way. Yeah. And I do like the way it subverts some of the tropes of the shark movie because at some point, Lou Diamond Phillips is in the water and his mate says, just stay still. Yeah. And then, so he doesn't stay still. And then the shark starts coming at him, even though he stays still. So Lou Diamond Phillips gets the hell out of the water. So, yeah. so I think it's having a little bit of fun with the tropes as well. So it's hitting all the points that shark movie fans will know and love, but also it's twisting a couple of the points just to say, well, this is not going to play out exactly as you thought it was going to. Just to come back to the kind of current state of shark films, I mean, I haven't taken the plunge yet, but I've been sort of semi against my better judgment tempted by the Black Demon, which I think has just come out on Prime Video. But it just looks like, a, again, like a complete CGI fest. And that can work. Like, I really liked The Shallows, which from memory is like all CGI. That does work really well. Mm. That's excellent. That's one of my um, favourite shark films. Yeah, yeah it's definitely yeah, like one of the it. one of the best in recent times. I even actually really liked Forty Seven Meters Down Uncaged. Yeah, I don't know yeah. how you guys felt no, about no, that we one because covered that covered that as well on this podcast, and then we were pleasantly surprised by that. Yeah, as well. I really liked the first one. The second yeah. one was decent. Yeah, I think the first one's slightly better, but yeah, from what I remember, I did enjoy. I, I was just so. not expecting anything from it, and what I really appreciated about that film was. You know, you kind of have that moment where, like, a shark has been vanquished or something. You know, say, for example, the end of Jaws when they blow up the shark and they're in the water on the raft and you're like, but wait, what if there's, you're still in the ocean? There's, like, could be hundreds of more sharks, you know, like, you're up Cape Cod kind of way. There's loads of great whites. And that's like, so I was like, I wouldn't be that relaxed, you know, but the nice music starts. But there's kind of a moment, and this is a bit of a spoiler, but I guess you've already spoiled it, in... um uncaged yeah, where have, i think they yeah. kind of yeah. they kind of get out of whatever cave system they're in into mm. the open sea and it's kind of played as if it's like we're free you know we've survived and then there's this whole shark ruckus that erupts towards the end i'm gonna have to just stay up all night and watch all these now because um, i'm getting too excited about them <laughs> but there's some whole kind of shark ruckus that i remember and there's aren't there people on a boat there watching is. it it's a boat yeah. yeah it's just so gratuitous and awesome and I really appreciated that because I always feel like there's that moment where they've killed whatever rogue shark is or sharks are after them. But it's like you're still in the ocean. I don't slate CGI across the board. I just love it when I go back to something like this and you do get the animated shark head and stuff. That's just, yeah, I just that's that's where the magic is for me. The ones with the puppets and the animatronics tend to land better with us as well. It's not saying that we don't like the CGI stuff, but when it's 
really bad CGI and they're trying to pass it off as something more serious, then it really does yeah. stick out like a sore thumb. There's a couple of ones that we've looked at, and it's the combination of characters you don't care about and really bad CGI. Uh, was it one called, was it Surrounded? Oh, that was one of the worst. That yeah. was like our official Hallmark Shark movie, as we described it. The acting was shoddy. The characters were arseholes. They were vloggers, weren't they? Yeah. And we just couldn't wait for them to all die. But yeah, that was that was a pretty bad one. And I think we redeemed yeah. it by reviewing The Shallows the week later. So yeah, no, I, rem- I remember Surrounded. They're all coming back to me now. All these shark memories. Yeah, exactly. It's been a nice trip down memory lane, this one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um I'm curious then where this one kind of stands. I mean, what you I guess you, you you guys should have some sort of official tally by the. I don't know how long this, how many summers you're going to be doing, but you should maybe keep a a tally of you know your your top shark movies. I'm just curious, like roughly finger in air, where this one kind of lands in your your shark rating system. For me, this is quite an interesting one because when I watched it through. I thought, yeah, it wasn't great. But then remember the last 20 minutes and thought, actually, no, the last 20 minutes is pretty good in this. And then thought, yeah, I like this bit of the movie as well, and I like this bit. So I'd probably end up going back to watch it and then sort of watching it with a slightly clearer head this time. It, because, it, it reels you back in. It yeah. reels you back in. And I think I think at the moment, because <laughs> because we've we've watched some classics, but we've watched some absolute garbage as well, to be perfectly mm. honest. And at the moment, it kind of, it's probably kind of sitting in the middle for me, but it might move because for all of its faults about the fact that, you know, the acting's not great and the plot's slightly confused, the shark action is actually pretty decent in this. They do ramp the suspense up a little bit at the end and the shark attacks are quite well shot. There's a really extended sequence where Lou Diamond Phillips' character is basically hanging onto the shark and trying not to get eaten. And in one sense, that could have been quite ridiculous. But in this movie, it makes it kind of exciting. And he's like, dis- he disappears and you think, well, maybe it's got him. But then you think, ah, it's Lou Diamond Phillips is the main character. He's not going not gonna to kill him. It's a weird one to just jump straight in a review. I mean, certainly things like George, you know, it's classic. It's always going to be near the top of the list, if not at the top. Because a lot of the stuff we had seen at least once before, this is something that we've just come into completely cold. I didn't get your background on this. So yeah. you just, is yeah. this your first viewing? It is, yeah. It's something else. Yeah. I, oh, hadn't, okay. I hadn't really heard about it. And then looked oh, at the cast yes. and looked at the, looked at the background of it and thought, yeah, it's an interesting thing to do um, for cable I'm, TV. So. I'm delighted to have been able to have the honour of introducing you both to this. Yeah, because, I mean, at least it's it's not something like, um, you know, the Italians did lots and lots of knockoffs and things. And there's a... There's a Mexican one called Tintorera and there's things like that. Oh, but it, big fan. Yeah, we haven't done well, Tintorera yet. <laughs> all right, well, I want to come back. Are you doing that this year? Well, at some point, I'm sure we'll get round to Tintorera. Okay, it well, may not be this you got my, you've, got, you've got my number. <laughs> okay. I've, got, I've got the extended two-hour cut on my shelf there that you can only get in Spanish. <laughs> right. That's right, that's right. There's a whole two hours of love triangle intrigue with <laughs> like a smattering of shark attacks. Oh, uh, I won't say too much more yeah. about it in case you invite me back for that. Yeah, God, God do Tintorera then. But yeah, it's nice to see an American take on this as well and something that's kind of trying to treat it with at least a little bit of seriousness. There's a little bit of humour in it. Because we've done and so yeah, many, it's sitting in the middle now, but it's unfair for me to say, oh, I've watched it once and I'm just going to leave it there. <laughs> so, so I'll probably have to go and see it again and then move it around. Ranking them is mm-hmm. going to be difficult, though, because I mean we, we're going to have done 28 of them by the time we've finished all of this. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it would make my top 10. I'd have to, I'd have to give it some thought. Mm. But I think if the rest of the movie was as consistently good as the end of the movie, I might have felt differently. But I just felt quite bored through a lot of it until the end. So mm. I think we've probably seen some worse shit. So. Oh, clearly, <laughs> yes. Absolutely. okay so to give you a rough idea what the lovely users of imdb thought of this movie Mm. and i'll prepare you now it's going to be brutal i'm just going to read some of the titles of these reviews forgettable adventure the umpteenth bad shark movie this review could be two words long not great but okay yep it's as bad as you can possibly fathom (laughs) Not bad, but nothing special. 
I liked this film, watched it twice. Very, very disappointed. Hopeless, enough is enough. That was what a lot of people on IMDb thought of this. And that accumulates with its rating of 4.1 out of 10. And then as we go to Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 0% tomato meter and an 18% audience score. Outrage. Absolute outrage. I was complaining in a similar vein last episode about Devilfish when I got the scores in for that. Uh-huh. <laughs> very, very similar. So going back to Devilfish, it had a 16% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. So they're kind of similar, but it had 2.7 on IMDb, whereas this has 4.1. So it's heading towards average. I don't necessarily disagree with that score. The needle is moving. I mean, I, I'm I'm infamous for not not uh, watching films, you know, over a three rating on IMDb. So I'm I'm kind of shifting. You know, I'm 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 upping my standards for this considerably. I guess we all watched this on Prime, not yes. to give Amazon another mm-hmm. plug. I don't know if you guys noticed the print that I was watching. Some of the dark stuff almost look, had like a negative image. I don't know if you noticed that at all. Yeah, yeah. Was, which was kind of frustrating. There's at least one underwater scene with the shark that's quite dark, and for whatever reason, they screwed up the encode on when they uploaded it to Prime. It's HD, but it's almost looks like a negative image, so you can't really make out what's going on. Yeah, and some of the stuff in there, I mean, some of the stuff looks really good in it, but it was weird that like at certain points in the movie, the quality dips sharply, and that's no fault mm. of the movie. That's the that's well, the upload. The start of the movie, I panicked a little bit because I went for the SD version because it's cheaper, basically, and it was all pixelated at the beginning. And I thought, oh my god, I hope the entire movie isn't like this. And eventually, it does get into focus at the start. But I thought, oh, this is a disaster. <laughs> but yeah, it was kind of frustrating. I mean, from what I can see, there's no DVD with commentary or or anything like that so there's kind of precious little info about the film i'd definitely be curious from what i understand it was shot in south africa i think there's a very strong hint that it may have been shot in south africa because the south african actors in the cast and yeah the, and the the location is unspecific enough for it to have been south africa yeah i think i saw something along those lines on the, the trivia maybe on imdb the one thing I found was a review in the New York Times, which was published on the eve of the first broadcast, which was kind of, as you expect, a kind of lukewarm summary of the movie. So this is by Ron Wertheimer. You'd need a rich imagination, far richer than that of anyone who worked on this picture, to foresee just how morbid, violent and murky and incoherent things are going to become. There seems to be a moral here about nature's retribution for human greed. But that's lost in blood and mud, in painfully hackneyed dialogue, and in scenes of that cheesy shark gobbling its way through the population. I mean, if I'd have read Morbid and Violent, I'd have thought, great, looking forward yeah, to yeah. that. Well-rated movie as well. <laughs> so clearly not a fan there. Other little tidbits I found in France, it was titled Les Dents de la Mort, The Teeth of Death, which I guess was to kind of evoke the French title of Jaws, which was Les Dents de la Mer, Teeth of the Sea. Through the miracle of Google Translate, figured out that the Japanese title translates to Red Water Shark Hell. Oh, nice. Which I enjoyed. <laughs> Sounds very abrupt. Just, yeah. you know, like, just trust the Japanese to go that extra mile there. And then most of the other titles were just translated, like Spanish title, I think, translates as River of Bloody Water or River of Blood or red river that kind of thing so all kind of straightforward but yeah the i guess the campaign for the uh uhd edition starts here i mean i guess it's possible i mean it's imdb says that it was shot on 16 millimeter which i find quite implausible i'm not an expert on celluloid but i don't think they were shooting these kind of things on 16 mil i would have said 35 but it, it in any case it definitely looked to be shot on film so those who uh holding space on their video shelves for a UHD of Redwater, you know. It's a studio, I can't remember which one it is. I want to say Sony. I it think. is, it's Sony, uh, Sony Pictures Television. Uh, Sony. This, uh, but uh, yeah, are you putting yourself forward for the commentary for the UHD? Oh, absolutely. Well, this is it, isn't it? I thought that's what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> they have to pay us, but we can put it on there. Yeah. As I said, I like the fact that it tries to do something Teaches you a little bit of something, teaches you a bit about bull sharks, that they can go in fresh water. So there's a didactic function to this film. 
on that note, actually, if you will indulge me, you I too. thought I actually prepped this as a bit of an icebreaker for the start, but I got carried away with my enthusiasm for the film. So I actually prepped like a little mini quiz about bull sharks. If you guys would be up for that, how would yeah. you feel about that? Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. sure we'll score but there's no stakes here apart from. Okay. You know, the uh, adoration of your peers. There's no prizes, unfortunately. And maybe I'll think about something after. <laughs> a few quick fire questions. Okay. Okay. Expertly and thoroughly researched off uh, off the internet. <laughs> so, okay. So a little quick fire quiz about bull sharks. So the first question, start on hopefully an easyish one. Only two other shark species bite humans more often than bull sharks. What are they? And uh, I guess we should go, what would be the fair way to do it? in order so one after the other and we can flip it now go go Haley first Haley can have it. i'm just gonna say great white because that's what's gonna come in my head probably wrong um, yeah two two other shocks i've realized the flaw in this quiz and that like you both <laughs> you get to answer them one after the other so anyway hopefully people will learn a little something and we'll go with Haley on this first question so mm -hmm. okay so you've gone great white it's two shark species Need to research some shark species. <laughs> do you want me to I'm do so... I'm going to take a guess. Go for it. Are you <laughs> looking down as if you look this? <laughs> see, see the reflection of Wikipedia in your eyeballs. <laughs> um, tiger shark. Boom. She's oh, got it. That was, that was a guess. Yeah, got it. Good work. Yeah. The Tintorera. I think that's the yeah, type of shark. That, I think it is. Yeah. For a bonus, I mean, we're not really doing points because I've mm. planned this horribly, but for, for bonus kudos, can you put those three shark species in the order of most kind of dangerous to humans, starting with most dangerous to last. So probably the bull shark, the tiger shark, the great white. That would be my ranking as well. Starting with bull shark. Yeah. Yeah. As the top. It's exactly the opposite, I'm afraid. Uh, it's okay. great white, tiger, bull shark. Okay. Okay, so we'll go to Darren for this one now. So the bull shark is around the world is known by a few other names. Which of these three is it not known as? Okay. The Zambezi shark, the Nicaragua shark, and the Mississippi shark. I'm going to go Mississippi shark. Boom, he's got it. Very confident answer there. Correct. It's, uh, it's known, known in, in Africa as Zambezi shark and uh, is it Costa Rica? I don't know. It's a Nicaragua shark. But it's the same type of shark. Two more. I hope you guys are enjoying this at home. <laughs> The bull shark is a species of what type of shark? Is it a requiem shark or a mackerel shark? It's requiem. Would you reckon, um, Darren? I'm gonna I'm gonna go mackerel. Well, so it's split down the middle here. <laughs> Little jump roll. It is in fact a requiem shark. Uh, what sound? that means, I can't really tell you. I think it's something <laughs> about giving birth to live young, perhaps. Okay. Uh, great, a great white shark is a mackerel shark. Ah, cool. Lastly, uh, which shark has the most powerful bite, the great white or the bull shark? I want to say the bull. I'd say the bull as well because this think... is nastier. Yeah, both game ball. Yeah, go. go You'll both be correct. Clearly, you've learned something from Red Water here. <laughs> According to a 2012 study published in the journal Zoology, bull sharks can bite with a force of 5,914 newtons. <laughs> so uh, you don't want to be no. taking a dip in the Zambezi anytime soon. It looks like. So yeah, I hope you enjoyed that. I yeah. I, I didn't. I should have figured out how we could have done it as more of a competitive element, but uh, we, I think it's served no, its didactic we, function. Yeah, there's no competition here on the podcast. We're, we're, <laughs> we're very up for a collaborative effort, me and Hurley. Apart from the, the, apart from when I choose are... apart from when I choose devilfish, and that the that audience was... is the winner. It's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But uh, I kind of accidentally sort of primed myself for this podcast a bit. I started listening to this podcast. This is some further reading for Red Water fans. I started listening to a podcast called Reunion, Shark Attacks in Paradise. So Reunion Island, which is a in, in French island in the Indian Ocean, which is where I'd studied French. So I did a stint there on my year abroad. And it's a podcast about a kind of shark attack epidemic that took place there from like 2011 till like 2019 maybe i might have that wrong but the shark that was implicated in all of that is the bull shark so i've been listening to this and kind of devouring every episode over the last few weeks so inadvertently primed myself uh for a deeper appreciation of red water fair enough uh and i would thoroughly recommend that podcast to anyone listening who well obviously people 
here like podcasts. So yeah. I would recommend that. It's pretty thrilling. I remember it was like my 21st birthday we spent on the beach and we went swimming at midnight, which is exactly the kind of thing you're not supposed to do on the beach, which then later transpired that a number of fatal attacks happened. So uh, maybe I yeah survived a brush with the, the mighty bullshot. What a way to go. What a way to Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so I re- definitely recommend that. And I've got Red Water just playing in the background here. The bull shark is smashing its way through. I think it's a Pontiac's window. Oh, yes, the Pontiac. And, of course, the number plate on the Pontiac. Yeah. It's the same one as in Jaws and a load of other movies. Uh, It's all intertextual. But, yeah, it's just reminding me again, like I'm seeing that shark head chomping down. We've even got some full shots of the shark wriggling away. It just looks great. Just strengthening my belief in this movie and that shark fans should check it out. And with that, I think there's no better way to close than that. All there is that remains for us to say is thank you ever so much for joining us, Ewan. It's been a pleasure, and I appreciate your enthusiasm for a movie that I had never seen until last night. Yeah, thank you for joining us, and all the shark facts as well. I think everybody's learned something today from this episode. Enjoyed myself immensely, and thank you for inviting me on, and I'm just um, kind of quite relieved to be honest that you guys enjoyed well I think enjoyed the film as much as you did in the sense that I was expecting maybe a a more unfavorable reaction so I'm doubly happy so thank you very much that's cool see you on Tinterera absolutely watch the space I do wish we could chat longer and that's it for episode 105 of the HD movie podcast as always thank you for listening and a special thanks to Ewan for being our guest on the podcast this week. And if you enjoy this content and would like to follow us for more, you can check out our social media on Facebook and Instagram at HD Movie Podcast. Summer of Sharks continues in the next episode and we're back into sequel territory. And it's a sequel to a movie we've only just covered on Summer of Sharks. We're heading back to the reef for The Reef Stalked. Yeah, this is a fairly new release, so we're looking forward to sinking our shark teeth into that one. So join us next week for The Reef Part 2. It's not for that. Darren got the correct title. Until then, stay safe, everybody. We'll see you soon. The HD Movie Podcast is presented by Hayley Alice Roberts and Darren Gaskell. Its music is written and performed by Mitch Bay. You can find the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podchaser, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Listen Notes and Podbean.